Please turn back to page 1140, which is where we are at, at the end of a little series from Romans 12 to 13. Those who know anything about preaching will know that the preacher spends a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time, preparing his opening sentence, and even more importantly, his last sentence. It's important to know how to start, and even more important to know how to end. Well, for a long time I have known uh, that I was about to preach on the day after Sheffield Wednesday played Sheffield United. So I had to get my opening, uh, my opening talk, my opening sentence perfectly, uh, you know, ready. There were three possible results and I had to have three leads in uh, to my talk. A- a- appropriate, I mean, it, it was just possible Wednesday might have lost. So one has to sort of get these things in mind. I only learned 48 hours ago that the game wasn't happening because United are in the cup and we are out of the cup. So all my time spent in the opening sentence, you will never know what I might have said on the occasion. So I then turned to the fact that it is in fact the first Sunday after Valentine's Day. So I thought, well, perhaps transformed by love has some relationship. I didn't think on the whole there was much connection, though. Not everything about Valentine's is bad, but you do wonder what Bishop and Martyr Valentine would make of what's happened after his name. So there, my my opening leads have gone completely, but I'm very glad to preach on this uh, great subject. And I want, if I may, to add a a second uh, subtitle. Transformed by Love is a good title. Uh, A a subtitle is Always in Debt, which doesn't sound half so good, but if you look at your passage, that's where it begins. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love. We shall always be, as Christians, in debt. Uh, I'm told that the third week in January is the most uh, uh, solemn week of the year for most people. It's the week that your credit card bill arrives after Christmas. I don't know how you went on, I just winced when mine came, but other people may have uh, worse thoughts. Mind you, I have a friend who actually... um, When his wife lost her credit card, he didn't ring up the authorities very quickly because he reckoned the thief would spend less on the credit card than his wife did. So, there you are. Uh, But there is a sense in which we are uh, in a continuing debt uh, to go on loving. If I may say, it's not the main theme of our sermon, but there's a sense in which even in the world's kind of debt, we are always to be. Of course, it's wrong to get into debt. There's a great danger of debt addiction. Extraordinary story of a man who's suing the bookies for allowing him to place bets. What a strange world we live in. Um, but there is a, there's a danger, isn't there? For Christians, I believe there is a place when we should be willing to risk being in debt financially, taking risks health-wise. If we're always cautious and careful, we shan't do much following Christ. Have you read these words in Ecclesiastes? Very straight words. Ecclesiastes 11, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. It's a word for a a commercial man who takes a risk, who sends out his goods, and for the moment he may be in debt, but he expects a better return. And he goes on to say, does Ecclesiastes, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. There's a very real sense in which it's never right to take a risk, but it's always right to take a risk. Did you know in the New Testament there's a word for Christians and they're called gamblers? Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas were commended by uh, the New Testament for they gambled their lives for the sake of the gospel. That kind of gambling is something that we need more of. The willingness to risk 
uh, willingness to have debt in the service of Christ. But our main passage here is about the debt to love. Some years ago, it's now out of print, I think, there was a book written uh, about the death of Jesus on the cross called In Debt to Christ. A good little book, an excellent title, for always because Jesus died for us and we've been reminded of it in this baptism service this morning. That's why we have a water of cleansing. We're always in debt to Christ. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore live as always in debt It's this little series we've had in church on Romans 12, 13 comes to an end here. It is, in a sense, a climax to the whole book of Romans. For in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, we are said that we should have the obedience that comes from faith. And faith should lead into obedience. And then Paul goes on in the rest of Romans to talk about what Christ did for us on the cross. And therefore... This is our little series that we should be not conformed to this world, Romans 12, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you know that word transformed in Romans 12, 2 is actually the same Greek word as the word for, being, for Jesus when he was transfigured on the mountain, when he shone with the likeness of God. I understand that he could be transfigured. That I could be transfigured like that? That's the challenge. And one aspect of being transfigured is that I should be transformed by the love of Christ. You see, most of us feel you can't make people love. You can't order people to love, but Jesus did. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And so here in these verses we are commanded to love our neighbour as ourselves. The main thrust of what I want to say this morning is quite simply that the law is never loveless and love is never lawless. Bear that in mind. Law is never loveless and love is never loveless. Let me give an illustration. The story of Jesus when he forgave the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. He made a great statement. Neither do I condemn you Go and sin no more. Now, there are some churches major on one half. Other churches major on the other half. The good church, I hope we are a good church, majors on both halves. You see, there are some people who are very keen on the neither do I condemn you. God loves everybody. God forgives everybody. So, it doesn't really matter how you live. We're going to be forgiven. Please, friends, God does not forgive everybody. There would be no hell if God forgave everybody. And Jesus said very abundantly there will be hell, sadly. So you can't just take that half without the other. Then there are some churches that are very good on the second half. Go and sin no more. Keen on telling people to live a different life, but with very little forgiveness to help them. The challenge of Jesus, the challenge of Paul, is that we should forgive and that we should care about a new way of life that we should obey the law, and that we should live in love. I have three little points this morning. My first is there's a duty, which is law. My second, there's a debt, which is love. And the third, 
well. May I point out the third will come right at the very end of the sermon. So when I say my third point is, please don't look at your watch and shake your head very sadly. Because by the time you've got your head back from looking at your watch, I'll have finished. It's only a little postscript at the end. My third point, a day which is life. A duty which is law. A debt which is love. A day which is life. A duty which is law. One of the joys about preaching twice at Fullwood is when you preach at 9.15, you get all your mistakes corrected at the, ch- at the church door. So by the time I preach at 11 o'clock, it's all perfect. I've been corrected by the 9.15 congregation. And I think I misquoted Augustine. Somebody told me I misquoted. St. Augustine, a great pioneer of the church, is supposed to have said, love and do as you please. And I pointed out that if he did say it, he was wrong. Anyway, I'm told by a good authority in the church a gentleman who looked at his Greek New Testament when I was preaching, so he must know what he's doing. Uh, he actually suggested I really did misquote Augustine, so may he forgive me. But if he did say, love and do as you please, he was wrong. And what Augustine was trying to say was, love is so important that it should affect everything else. And if you really did love your neighbour as yourself, and you did love God with all your heart, then you could do as you please. Well, you take it as you wish. But there are negative guards... And there are positive goals. You see, when Paul says in verse 9, these commands are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself, he did not say, love your neighbor as yourself cancels out the others. It's the fullness of them. It's that which makes them even more wonderful. Of course, if you love, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't covet You don't bear false witness. These are parameters. These are God's way of living. Nobody gets to heaven by not murdering and not committing adultery and so on. But once by the grace of God I've been forgiven, this is the way I'm meant to live. You see, love is never lawless. Look at verse 10. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Now, the number of times I visited people in a time of bereavement when I was vicar here, for those of I'm just a stranger in the pulpit. I was vicar here for nearly 30 years, so I've been around the place a bit. Uh, when a uh, number of times I go to a funeral, and people would say, you know, vicar, I know my husband never came to church, but he never did anybody any harm, and I would wince. Uh, if I knew them well enough, I'd say, I doubt it very much. We all have done people harm, every single one of us, including your preacher. But what you see they're trying to say is, isn't that enough? Well, when Paul says love does no harm to its neighbor, he's not suggesting that love just sits back and lets it happen. He is saying that whenever love acts, it will not bring harm. And if I commit adultery, if I steal people's reputation, if I covet, then I am doing harm. Love is never lawless. There is a duty which is law, and there are negative guards. But even more, there are positive goals. Love, you see, goes further. Love, it says, is the fulfillment of the law, verse 10. The actual word means the fullness of the law. It comes later on in chapter 15 about the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So love, you see, goes on. He says in in, in verse 9, it's a summary of the law. James says in James chapter 2, it's the royal law. Love goes beyond. Love is positive and not just negative. I haven't got very far if I've just not committed adultery, just not stolen, just not coveted. The challenge is, what have I done? What is 
different. Why am I different? That's why we read Leviticus chapter 19. It was good to reveal, because that's the chapter in which love your neighbour as yourself comes. And did you notice how very practical that chapter was? Oh, there are little bits that are now summed up in Christ, sacrifice, which is finally done in Christ. But the rest was very practical. Care about the deaf. Think about the blind. My mind still goes back to a day when I took a university mission in Leicester University and uh, I gave out booklets to people who wanted to respond and one girl who was blind came. The booklet wasn't much use to her, uh, but she came forward. She wanted to respond and she said, you see, the reason why I've come today is because of these two. And she pointed to two girls in the background. You see, I live in a hall of residence, she said. And lots of people say to me, do let me know if I can help you. But when you're blind, you like to be independent. But these two were different. They went out of their way to think ways in which they could help. And they went the second mile. And I wondered why they were different. And when they said, would you like to come to a Christian meeting, I twigged it. They were different. Because they were Christians. Other people talked about help. They actually went the second mile to do it. That's what love is all about. And Leviticus 19 has a great deal about these practical things. Being, not being partial in justice. Paying good wages. Not reaping the whole of the field so that the, the alien and the refugee have something to get hold of. Positive goals. I mentioned earlier on this love doing no harm. One of the most dramatic stories of Jesus, which some of us, many of us will know, was a story about a rich man and a poor man. You may remember it. The rich man had everything he wanted and then he died and he went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he was a rich man. He went to hell because he would no time for God. The poor man at his gate went straight to heaven. And he went to heaven not because he was poor, but because he put his trust in God. He needed God. Now, what did the rich man do that was wrong? He never kicked Lazarus. He never spat at Lazarus. He just pretended he wasn't there. That was all. You see, he didn't do any harm, but he didn't do any good. He didn't go out of his way to see what he could do to love. And the challenge is that we... Go out of our way. I said that uh, 9.15 is a great... It's a great help to preach twice in the morning. And one lady going out said she was very glad I preached uh, that sermon because it was just right for her. She'd come to church this morning feeling very angry because they'd had a party next door in the house and there were uh, one or two beer bottles in her, in her uh, drive and she was about to go back and, and read the riot act to the people next door. But after my sermon, she's going to go back and clear up the beer bottles. Well, whether that's right or not, they're, they're right. at least my sermons have practical value. So Sometimes, But you see, uh, maybe she ought to tell them off as well afterwards. Uh, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But the challenge is, where are Christians? We go beyond positive goals. A duty which is law. But secondly, a debt which is love. Love, you see, first of all goes beyond, and love goes on and on. Now, I want you to look at your text here. This is when the gentleman at 9.15 got his Greek New Testament out just to check I was right. Here's my little bit of Greek. Just look at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Now the Greek says, he who loves the other. It doesn't say fellow man, it just says the other. And it's possible to interpret this, and I love this interpretation. 
It's possible to read it. He who loves has fulfilled the other law. The other law, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if you, we love one another, then in fact we are fulfilling the other law. We are fulfilling our love for God by loving our neighbour. Got the message? Well, listen to this word from John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Get the message? You can say you love God, but if you don't love your neighbour, you don't love God. And he who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the other law. When I was a little lad, many of you know I was brought up by a very godly mother. Stern, strict, but lovely. My godly mother. And uh, on one occasion I called my sister a liar. I think I had every reason for calling her a liar. And my mother said, you should not use that word. Philip, it's not the word to use to your sister. I said, it comes in the Bible, you know, mother. I've met it in the Bible. I read it in the Bible. I got cluttered. Quite right until I'm getting cluttered with my impudence. But I was right. The word liar does come in the Bible. And it's very straight, isn't it? If, in fact, I say to God, I love you, but I go out of church and I don't care about my neighbour, I am a liar. That's what it says. And that, I think, is a spirit. Whether that's the right interpretation of the other law is another matter. But it is the challenge of the spirit which goes beyond. That is, we don't just do what the law says. We don't just do what is sort of reasonable. We go further. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, asked this question, rhetorical question. When it comes to loving, what do you disciples do more than others? After all, non-Christian people love people who love them. Non-Christian people basically love their families. It's, the world out there is not full of wicked, selfish people. There are plenty there. But there are plenty of people who are decent and kind and caring. What, why are we different? Well, we should be different because we love the ones who don't love us. We go out of the way to help the ones who don't go out of the way to help us. That should be the difference. And sometimes it's to be seen in very practical ways. We show our love by how we, what we do with our money, what we do with our time. I was thinking last week when I was in the congregation on Missionary Gift Day. I can remember the day when we had our first attempt to make a big spending spree in this church. We built that church hall over there. It was a big event. Uh, and, and I can remember the gentleman has long since died from this story. But I happened to be travelling on the bus and I sat next to this gentleman who, it's amazing how a village always gets the message. Fulwood all knew we were about to build a, a church hall and they all knew how much it was going to cost. And this gentleman assured me, you won't do it, vicar. It's the wrong time to ask for money. It, you won't do it, said he to me. Uh, well... People in the congregation gave very generously. Some people gave up a, a summer holiday so they were able to give generously. And after a few months, we had done it. Well, it so happened, I got on the, the bus next to the same gentleman months later. Now, if I had been a very good Christian, I wouldn't have mentioned what he'd said to me before. <laughs> but being what I am, I did. I simply said, you'll be glad to know we've done it. And he wasn't glad to know. He was very angry. Very angry. Not angry because I was rude. Perhaps I was. He was angry because he was threatened. You see, he didn't mind people going to church. After all, if you want to go to church, let them go to church. 
But actually that people were willing to sacrifice money, he knew all about money, then it might mean something after all. Perhaps I ought to think about it. If it means so much to them, what do you do more than others? What is it about our loving that actually makes the world think they're different? You see, the church is meant to be a microcosm of what God wants the world to be like. Again, just want my last 9.15 comment. I threw out uh, my question. I didn't know who first said in history, see how these Christians love one another. Always be careful in forward. I got the answer. Aristides in the year 152 AD. There you are. I'm quite prepared to believe it was Aristides in the year 152 AD. But when that gentleman, or whoever he was, actually said, see how these Christians love one another, he meant it. He actually thought they were a wonderful, different bunch. When did you last hear people say, see how these Christians love one another? I'll guarantee it was said in sarcasm. I'll guarantee it was said because they knew about Christians who didn't get on with each other. They knew about people in church who didn't speak to each other. They knew about different groups of Christians who didn't get on with each other, who even sometimes fought each other. See how these Christians love one another. I hope it's true that our Aristides friend, if he came back today, would be able to say about this congregation, see how these Christians love one another. Different from, bigger than the world out there. Going beyond, but also finally going on and on. You see, it says it's a continuing debt to love. It never ends. It's the continuing debt to love. And therefore I shall always be in debt to Christ. And if my interpretation of this verse is right, I shall show my love for Christ by loving my fellow man and going on, in that sense, being in debt. There was a time when I could say from this pulpit, you all know John 3.16. I guess life has gone on. If I put a little test out, you wouldn't all know John 3.16. Don't worry, it's not a test. But I would then say, perhaps you don't know 1 John 3.16. That's the first letter of John 3.16. Let me read that to you. One, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the verse. Here's 1 John 3.16. John is speaking about love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Pause. That sounds very dramatic. Lay down our lives for our brothers. Not likely to happen to me, is it? Friends, I have brothers and you have if you're a Christian, brothers and sisters who this very day are laying down their lives for the gospel in parts of our world. It's tough to be a Christian. I hope that Grace will grow up in a world where she can be a Christian without a challenge. I doubt it. The world in which we live doesn't treat Christians all that nicely if they stand for their faith. So would I be willing to lay down my life? Well, I hope I would, but who knows. But here as it goes on, if, verse 17, 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let's not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. There was a moment when one of the great disciples, Peter, was asked a question by Jesus. Do you love me? And Jesus asked him the question three times. Do you love me? And the Bible says that when, he, when Jesus asked him the question the third time, Peter was upset. 
Distressed. Why was he distressed when he asked him the third time, do you love me? Oh, I think I know. Because only days before, a girl had asked him the question, oh, you're a Christian, aren't you? You belong to Jesus, don't you? I know you do. I've seen you with him. And he denied it, and he cursed, and he swore, and he'd not forgotten. And when the third question came, he knew what Jesus was getting at. And he said, well, yes, Lord, I really do love you. Right, said Jesus. Feed my sheep. I've heard you talk about your love before, and I go and do it. Go and do it. Comparatively easy to sing about our love. Go and do it. Some of you may not be Christians yet, and you're here you're sort of wondering what Christians do. Well, we do believe that we are challenged by the words of Christ that we should show our love in practical ways and we fail, but by God's grace we seek to start again. Love goes on and on. My last point? Here's my last point. A, a day which is life. Oh, I should take just a little bit longer than I said earlier on, but not long. A day which is life. Two thoughts. There's the look for the dawn, look at verse 11 and 12 about the dawn coming. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Uh, if you weren't up early this morning, I can assure you, if I'm preaching, I'm a kind of on edge a bit. Well, I've done a lot of preaching, I'm still always on edge. If a preacher doesn't feel stomach pain before he preaches, it's time he gave up. I, I'm, I still, it's always nervous energy. Uh, so I was awake early this morning, I pulled the curtains back at half past six this morning, and I saw the most beautiful dawn looking over the Mayfield Valley from our flat apartment, sorry, apartment uh, in Sefton Court looking over the Mayfield Valley. I saw a beautiful... Not long ago, I was, in a, I was down on the edge of the Cotswolds preaching and the man, my host, brought me a cup of tea in the morning. He turned, he pulled the curtains back and he said, cup of tea for you, Philippe. He said, look at that view. I don't suppose you see anything like that in Sheffield, do you? I said, we see exactly the same view in Sheffield, but thanks for the tea. Uh, <laughs> these southerners. Uh, anyway, we, the lovely view over the Mayfield Valley. But this morning, the dawn, the sunrise, May I be very serious just for two minutes? This is a word to Christian friends. A week ago I was deeply depressed. I just read in a church newspaper about a bishop who I've known, loved and respected, who has now decided he's changed his views. He now believes homosexual practice can be permitted. He's apologized for ever thinking the reverse. And he even wants to suggest that possibly Jesus and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, may have, had, may have had that kind of relationship, which I think is blasphemy. It's appalling. And I was deeply distressed, deeply distressed. I came to the church last Sunday morning, and coming to see the 9.15 going out, and 11 o'clock people coming in, suddenly the depression began to lift a bit. Then came back on Monday morning, I saw the general synod standing, giving a, a standing ovation to a man who made, an who made extraordinary statements a few days before. Thank God for the little nucleus who sat with courage. So I was deeply depressed, but coming to church, and I saw these people coming out, it lifted my spirits, because there was a dawn, there are young people and there are young families who are still prepared to give their lives to a church which so often fails them. Thank God for that. I, as an older man, just want to say thank you. You've given me a hope for the dawn. So the Christian believes there's a dawn which is coming. The best is yet to be. And if there's a dawn, 
look for the dawn, but also live in the day. You see how it ends about not behaving in orgies and drunkenness, but rather clothe yourself with Christ. I mentioned a few moments ago St. Augustine, great leader of the early church. Do you know how he became a Christian? I'll tell you. He, he'd been living a very licentious life. He really had. Young man, he'd done everything. And things were going empty in his life. And he saw a scroll and he heard a voice saying, take it, read it. What was the text he read? Romans 13, 13 and 14. That's where Augustine found anchorage and he became one of the great leaders of the church. In his need, he put on the Lord Jesus. And how do we go out to be transformed by love? We stop going our way and we put on Jesus. For some of us, still it's never happened. We need to put him on for the first time, like Augustine. For most of us who are Christians, it's just renewing our confidence in him and being reminded that uh, because Christ went all the way to the cross in love for us, the least we can do in love for him and one another is to go on in his way, put on Christ and follow him. Could you just pick up your service sheet with a hymn, last hymn, and before, before I announce it, can I just want ask, tell you why I've... I do apologise, I mean, I changed the order of service round a bit with kind permission from Paul because I wanted to go straight in from the sermon into the hymn. This is a lovely hymn by Charles Wesley, a great old Charles Wesley hymn, but it's been adopted, adapted by a friend of mine, Chris Idle, my age, and, um, sort of a modern, a rather more modern version. And you see how it starts. It's finished, the Messiah dies. It goes back to the cross, the great act of love. And in verse five, line 5, all the debt is paid. Thank God for that. I've no debt to God in that way. He's paid the debt. And then there's some lovely stuff. And right at the end, last four lines of the last verse, death, hell, and sin are now subdued. All grace is now to sinners given. And so I plead the atoning blood and claim, I love this last line, and claim the title deeds of heaven. I'm sure the family won't mind me mention it, but on Thursday this week, we had a, we had a, a lovely service of thanksgiving for Angela Wilson's life, who'd served the Lord for a long time, who came to the end with quiet confidence. It's a lovely service to take part in. And she's claimed the title deeds of heaven. Not because she was good and deserved it, but because she knew her Saviour and she got it of his hands. It cost him his life that we might have the title deeds of heaven. I'm so glad that I know that when the dawn breaks by his grace, there's a place prepared and I've got the title deeds by his grace. And if you know that, and when you know that, how else can you live except by being transformed by his love? Let me pray and then we'll sing the song.